Uh, my thanks and Barbara's thanks to all of you. We, uh, we have thoroughly enjoyed being here for three months. What a blessing. And especially it's been a blessing because I've never had an experience like this before where somebody told me you have to speak on these texts. <laughs> and at first I was a little concerned about that, but this has been a delightful experience and a challenge to uh, take a text that's assigned and come up with a message. So I appreciate all your uh, putting up with uh, some of these strange things maybe I came up with during the course of these three months. But uh, this has been just great, and great for us to be back here with you. We meet with the seniors on their Thursday excursions once a month, so we stay in touch with uh, many of you, and it's just uh, good to be here and share with uh, God's people here in this wonderful place. This is a great church, by the way. I've had a lot of people come here who visited, and they all say the same thing. This is an interesting place. These people care about each other. And you don't hear that very much these days. So blessings on you all. Well, you have an outline in your bulletin. It might be good to take out the outline. Um, We are in the fifth study in the book of Revelation. There's a couple more for Pastor James when he gets back. That's his problem. No, he got the easy ones, okay? This is the bad one. He deliberately stayed away this week just so I would have to do this. Okay, we are in Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. And uh, it's kind of strange to be here because this is right in the middle of some very devastating events that are taking place on the earth. So we're just of jumping right into the middle of all of that. Now, just very quickly, because not everybody has been here for the last four weeks, so let me just have a quick review. In in chapter 1, Paul makes it very clear, Paul, John makes it very clear what he is presenting here. This is the revealing of Jesus Christ. This is not about devastation on the earth. It's the revealing of Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and the fact that that he will come back, that he will return. He will be revealed in all of his glory. So that's what this is about. In chapter 2 and 3, we looked at the fact that God wants us to be overcomers. He addressed this to the seven churches in his area, but the message is that we're to be overcomers, overcomers of evil, overcomers of tribulation. Great challenge. And then... John is invited into the throne room of God. And in chapter 4, he goes into the throne room of God and he tries to describe that for us. Obviously, it's a difficult description. He's never been there before. We've not been there. But he shares with us what he sees there. And then last week, we looked at in the throne room of God, there's a little issue that develops. And someone stands up with a scroll with seven seals on it and asks the question, who is worthy to open these seals? Now, these seals represent um, some events that are going to take place on earth. Now, let me, first of all, try to set your mind at ease, because all of this comes with what I like to call a dilemma. This is the dilemma of time in this book of Revelation. And we're not obviously going through the whole book, so hang on to this. I, I think this is more than a dilemma of time. This is also a dilemma of extent. In other words, how far does this devastation on the earth extend? Is this about the Middle East? Is this about Israel? Is this about the whole world? Because John doesn't explain that. Okay, That's one of the problems. It's a dilemma. It's what confuses people when they read this. 
The other confusion is a dilemma of time, because very few people are in total agreement about how you interpret the book of Revelation. You all understand that, don't you? So many people say all of these things, these devastating events on earth, they have all been fulfilled in the past. That is a popular view. may not be yours, may not be mine, but that's a popular view, and that's possible that they have all been fulfilled in uh, some way or another. Many people say, well, this is a long-term thing. This is devastations on the earth that are taking 2,000 years. Started a long time ago. There have been devastations of catastrophic events. There have been wars that have engaged the whole world. So some of those things are some of these devastating things that John describes in Revelation. That's one of the views that this is an extended period of time. And then some people look at this and they say, well, this actually refers to a very short period of time, a very short period of time which is given the name the Great Tribulation to Come. This is an event in the future. But even if you think this is all about an event in the future, there's not even agreement about that. Some people say this is a seven-year event. Some people say, no, 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 it's only a a three-and-a-half-year event. So do you understand that there's a whole dilemma that circles around this whole thing of tribulation? But the one thing we know, there are at least three sevens of devastating events that come to the earth. They're called the devastations or the judgments of the seals. They're in chapter 6. We're not looking at them. They're the judgments called the judgments of the trumpets. They're in chapters 8 and 9. We're going to take one of them. And then there are the seven judgments called the bowls or the vials. They're in chapter 16. And if 21 devastating events on the earth is not enough for you, then you can also throw in there are seven thunders also stated in chapter 10, verse 4. John writes that he saw seven thunders, but the angel in heaven says to him, don't write about them. Thank you, John. (laughs) So at least 21 devastating events. Now we're ready for this text in chapter 9, verses 1 to 12, and it begins with what John sees. Chapter 9, verse 1. The fifth angel blew his trumpet. Now these are not, back up one. These, okay, go ahead, forget it. (laughs) <laughs> these are, uh, these are uh, trumpets that announce something that's going to happen. And the first thing that happens in verse 1 is a star falls. He says, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. He does not identify the star. He does not say what this is. However, he does say that the star is a he which is not the usual thing that a star is. All right? So in the next part of the verse, in verse 1, he says, This star, he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, and he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. Once again, we have no identification of this bottomless pit. We have no identification of this key other than this is what John saw take place. So some people say, well, this is a pit to the underworld, maybe, 
or this is a big hole in the ground on the earth, maybe. We don't know. All we know is what John says came out of the pit, and what came out of the pit was smoke. Chapter 9, verse 2. From the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft, and then from the smoke. So this is something like that, but is it real smoke, or is it something that like smoke. And John says, yeah, it reminds me of smoke. We don't know. All we know is that this smoke produces something called locusts. Verse 3 continues, because out of the smoke came locusts on earth. Now, there have been swarms of locusts that have approached the world on different occasions, and they actually could cover the sun, and they look a little bit like smoke. They darken the sky. But these are not normal locusts. This seems to be then some kind of strange new breed of locust because these locusts have the power of scorpions. Verse 3 continues. And they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. Now I did a little research. There are 25 to 40 species of scorpions on the earth. Very few of them are lethal Most of them just annoy people and hurt when they bite or sting. I used to live in Texas, and we had a mobile home. And periodically, I had to crawl underneath the mobile home to do some adjustment under there. And invariably, I came face to face with a scorpion. I grew to hate these things. I never got stung, but they were just awful. So here are a bunch of locusts that sting like a scorpion. And we don't know about them. John doesn't tell us about them. He just says, well, that's what I see. And then these locusts have some very strange characteristics. Verse 4, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. And that's very strange because that's what locusts do. Locusts destroy huge areas of farmlands. Locusts don't really bother people much. They destroy crops. And then he says, verse 4, Harm these people, but only the people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So these locusts with the stingers are supposed to come and harm the people on the earth, in the land, who don't have the seal of God on their foreheads. Okay, now we don't even know what the seal of God on their foreheads are. Ah, yes we do. Because in chapter 7, John is told that some angels were sent out to seal some people with the seal of God. This is what it says, Revelation chapter 7, verse 2. I saw another angel ascending from the rising sun, the seal of the living God. He called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given the power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of God on their forehead. And the number of those servants are 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. Y'all got that? So now we know that these locusts are going to annoy the living daylights out of some people, 
but not the people who have the seal of God, whoever those 144,000 are who are called, 12,000 from every Jewish tribe. Doesn't that make you feel good? I had a seminary professor who, who said, you know, I think this 144,000 are the people who are alive during this great tribulation. This is not my view. I'm giving a seminary professor's view. The people who are alive during this great tribulation, and these 144,000 are like people who've been touched, like the apostle Paul was touched, and sent out to evangelize the Jews that are left on the earth, and all the other people who are left on the earth. That's what the 144,000 are. You can take that or do whatever you want with that, because John does not discuss that. But this does bring up a thorny problem. And Christians, we love thorny problems. So the problem is, how come 144,000 don't get bothered by the locusts with the stingers, and everybody else who's on earth does get bothered by those that do this? And then there's a new thing that comes up, and you all know this word. It's called the rapture. The explanation for this is that before all this happens, God takes all the Christians out of existence on the earth and puts them up in heaven in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. That's called the rapture, the removal of the church. And so then the 144,000 are sealed. You all know that. Now, unfortunately, that is not discussed in the book of Revelation. John has absolutely nothing to say about that. That comes from another place, but if you want to hold to that, you've got to stick it in right here. Okay, so if there's a rapture, it takes place before chapter 7. All right, let's go back to what these locusts with the stingers do. Chapter 9, verse 5. They were allowed to torment them. That's these people on the earth. They were allowed to torment them for five months, not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. This is nasty. Now, we lived in Hawaii for a while, and we lived in an area of Hawaii where I don't recommend you live, called Hawaii Kai, and it was mosquito-infested. And we lived with literally hordes of mosquitoes. It was so bad at night. We would burn these coils, and they would, they would burn for about six hours. And then the magic day would come, the magic hour. Boom. They would turn off, burn out, and the mosquitoes would be on you. And my wife and I, I'm serious, this is what we literally did. We had a can of spray right beside our bed. And when the coil stopped burning, we would hear, and we would reach the can of spray, just roll over on our backs and spray it up in the air over our heads to be rid of these noisome little creatures. I can't imagine locusts with the stingers in them for five months annoying people. I mean, you wouldn't be able to go outside. And pretty soon, they'd find their way inside. So they would be in your house, out of your house, and it would be one miserable situation. As a matter of fact, John says in verse 6, it got so miserable... In those days, people will seek death, and they will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now, many think this is some kind of a plague. 
If it's a plague, it's some new kind of a creature that brings this plague. We don't know. You understand that we don't know for sure what John is talking about. This is really difficult. He's never seen this, and he's trying to explain it to us, and we've never seen it. And that produces a problem for us. I like to think of it as how do you describe something that you don't recognize so that somebody else will understand what it is? Think about that for a while. There used to be a TV show. I used to love this TV show. It was called Can You Name This? You can still play it online. So I played it online. This is what it comes up with. Oh, great. Would someone like to tell me what that is? Does anybody know what that is? I know what it is. You don't know what that is, do you? But you could describe it. Well, it looks like wood. It has a, I don't know, some kind of hook on it, like you drag people by the nose and something. I I don't know how big it is, and it's got a, a leather strap around it. We have no idea what this is, right? This would be hard to describe if we had never seen it before, which we never have. Until somebody says, oh, this is a para, palomarca. Well, of course it is. That's what it is. It's a palomarca. <laughs> this is a Bulgarian harvest equipment. Bulgarians used to harvest sheets of grain, and they would put their fingers in this thing, which would protect their hand, and then that hook would help them to get a larger sheath of the grain to put on their wagon. So everybody knows it's a polymarca, but we had no idea what it was. So I thought we would see what it would be like to have somebody go to the throne room this morning and describe something for us, and we'll see if we can figure out what Elizabeth is talking about. You got a microphone, Elizabeth? This is the throne room. Okay. She's going to go into the throne room, and there is something in the throne room that she has never seen. She assured me she does not have any idea what this is. So she's going to describe it to you. Don't be cheating trying to look back there. I see that. Okay. Okay. Should I describe it now? Yep, go ahead. Okay. Now just stop her if you think you know what it is. Headings you can't play. Yeah, shout it out if you know. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so it's about a three-foot-long slab of wood. Uh, It has the initials KS on it. And in the center is a round, like a circular metal thing with hundreds of nails sticking up like a bed of nails. Um, It has 1871 written on it. And, yes, it's a very pokey scary looking thing. What do you think it might be used for? Do you have any idea? Me? Yeah. Torture. I don't know. Torture. Yes. Okay. Does anybody have any idea what this is? What? Taking wool and making out into yarn. How do you know that? Yes. How much? <laughs> I, I, I have, in my teaching time, seen pictures of devices that sound similar where they use it. 
Okay? Now, this is the process we have to go through, right? When someone describes something to us that we don't know, we've got to go back through our heads and say, well, did we ever hear of this thing before? Did you ever see this thing before? I'm not sure what that is, but we know something similar. This is the process you go through. And frankly, this is the process you go through in the book of Revelation to describe these devastating events. Is it a what? A boot cleaner. Yeah. Uh, you, uh. Well, the nails are like four inches long. Oh, yeah. Yes. And are they sharp? Very, very sharp. Very sharp. Okay. Yes, can you of them. Can you pick that up and bring it out here? Yes. Without falling down and tripping over everything back there? <laughs> okay. You need help? It's heavy. Okay. Okay. Does anybody know what it is now? Wait a minute. Hold it up. Okay. You can put that down. You did very good. Let's go back. We'll try another one. This is a hetchel. Now you know what it is. This is a hetchel. It's, it's, this actually is from the 18th century. This one is not. This one is dated 1871. Okay, and you were very close. Don't stay up here. We're going to do another one. You were very close. This is for combing the flax plant. You would harvest flax, run it through these things, comb it, and then what it does flax is then made into twine that you could put on your spinning wheel and spin into thread, and then you would make linen out of it. Isn't that amazing? But we had no idea what it was. Okay, you got another one back there? Okay, go ahead. Tell us what that is. Yes. So she said, well, I know what this is. Okay. <laughs> I said, okay. So it's a basket type thing. A um, basket type thing. Yes, it's about two foot deep, a tall and thin basket. It has a handle on one side, out oh, two sides, and on the top there's like a little edge that you could maybe pour something out of. Oh, there's a handle on the bottom, too. It has lots of handles. Lots of handles in a basket. Yes. Deep, tall, thin basket. A big, deep, tall basket. No ideas, huh? Okay, you want to bring it out? You did a great job of this, what that was. Bring it out and show everybody what it is. Yeah, the only, the only problem is, see, you're, you're holding it upside down. You have to hold it this way. Anybody know what that is? The key is this little hole right here. It's a beehive. This is a beehive out of Central Europe. They were very popular for hundreds and hundreds of years. This one might not be that old. Actually, they've been outlawed because the bees would go in there and they would make their honey in here, but now they're outlawed because you can't inspect it to see whether or not everything's going okay in there. That amazing? It was simple as a beehive, but she couldn't make it clear to us what it was. We didn't know. Thank you, Elizabeth. You did a great job. Okay, now let's go back to the text now that we have exhausted our... By the way, that's called a skep, just in case you wanted to have that, you know. Let's go back as John now is in detail going to describe the locusts with the stingers. You ready? Chapter 9, verse 7. You want to put that picture back up? Here we go, the fifth trumpet. In appearance, 
The locusts were like horses prepared for battle. Now, this is an artist's rendition. Whatever this is, this looks ghastly and horrible. Some suggest this is some kind of demonic thing. We don't know. He goes on, verse 7. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. She's trying to tell you, this is what I see. Okay? Verse 7 continues. Their faces were like human faces. In other words, this looks like a human face. I don't know if it is a human face, but it's like a human face. Chapter 9, verse 8. Their hair like women's hair. Well, it could be almost anything that's kind of long and flowing, maybe dark, I, I don't know. Verse 8, their teeth like lion's teeth. Something vicious here. And then verse 9, chapter 9, they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. Did you ever see those on locusts before? My wife and I read this together and she said, well, this is something mechanical. This is something robotic. Then, verse 9, the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots and horses rushing into battle. That was loud. And finally, verse 10, they have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tail. Now, you can try to visualize what that is. Okay? Now, in addition to all this, John says they have a leader. This is a clue. Chapter 9, verse 11. I'm going to put that next one up. They have a king over them who is the angel or the messenger of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. John does not tell us where he got this information. These names translate in Hebrew and Greek to destruction or to destroyer. Now look, for 2,000 years people have been debating, what is this? So don't feel too bad if you, you know, don't know. There's constant debate. What is this? There are three explanations, I think. But if you have a fourth, you might as well. First explanation is that this is some kind of a plague, a plague that takes place on the earth with a creature that we don't ever, we have never seen, we don't know anything about. Could be, right? The second explanation is that this is an evil demonic thing, and this was the popular explanation for most of the history of the church. This is something evil. This is something out of the pit of hell. This is very, very awful and terrible. The third explanation is that this is some kind of an army. Some kind of an army that's on the earth. And this army has a general who is destruction and destroyer. It could be the devil. It could be something that John knows about, a Roman general. He's already seen Rome destroy Jerusalem in 70 AD. He knows about the destruction and the ruthlessness of this empire and its leaders. And then as time moved on, some things began to change. 
And we got used to seeing things and hearing about things that John never could have even imagined. But is this what he was trying to describe? For instance, until World War I, really nobody had ever seen anything that flies that was in any way like a, a, an airplane used in war. Nobody ever saw anything like that. In 1941, somebody decided they would take these things in three squadrons of 30 planes called the Flying Tigers, Looked like that. Ooh, the face of a human on him and the mouth of a lion. We don't know what John saw. And then as time went on, we got a little more advanced in our technology to this. How would you describe that if you had no idea what that was to people who have no idea what you could even be talking about? Look at that thing. Boy, that's strange. But technology has moved on even further, so I give you the 1992 and on new technology of the Army. The drone. Can you imagine hordes of drones coming out of a great shaft that bring destruction and the whirling... Oh, boy, this could be it. Now, here's the good news. James is going to be back next week. (laughs) And he will explain all of this to you. (laughs) There's a little bit more to come from John. Chapter 9, verse 12. This is what he says. The first woe has passed. Behold, Two woes are still to come. So just in these trumpets, there are these devastating events caused by something somewhere on this earth. The seventh trumpet that sounds is the most important trumpet. Let me read chapter 11, verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven who said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. John is not that interested in describing to us the devastating things on the earth. That's a part of it. Not only the devastating events, but a bunch of people who exist during this time. People called Antichrist, a beast out of the sea, a beast out of the, out of the land, uh, a place called Babylon, about which we know very little other than what we have in history. All kinds of people and incidents taking place during this time when something happens somewhere that concludes in the final revelation of Jesus Christ. Please don't see God sitting up in heaven as this vindictive God who said, I'll throw this at him. I'll let him have that. Hey, you want a scorpion that'll sting you for five months? I'll have that. That's not God. That's not my picture of God. As a matter of fact, John had a totally different picture of God. And I want to leave this with you because I've never thought about this before until preparation for this. John said, in a sense, that God was a farmer. 
This is in reference to John 15, 1, where Jesus made the statement and John recorded it. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. We usually think about grapes, but the Greek word is the word for farmer. He's the word for farmer. The New International Version translates it a gardener. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. This earth and this universe is God's garden. He's been taking care of it for a long time. Now, I have a little plot of land behind my house. Just a little old stinking piece of land. I mean, nothing. There's nothing. But I know what happens when I don't take care of it. See, I got to water it or it all dies. I got to fertilize it or it won't grow and it dies. I got to trim it or it'll just kind of go wild. As a matter of fact, if I don't take care of that little piece of land behind my house, it will become chaos. You probably got neighbors whose yard is chaos. You've seen them, right? So what would happen if God looked at his creation and he said, you know, I've been taking care of the garden for so long now. Hands off. They'll take care of the devastation themselves. The gardener takes his hand off the garden. Maybe that's what this is all about. John did his best to describe what he saw and share it with us. Not because he was so concerned about the devastation on earth, but because he wanted us to understand who Jesus was. This is Jesus. Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And we'll quit with that. I want to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to have first place in my life, and I want you to know the King of Kings. And I want you to let that King of Kings have first place in your life. Because then it doesn't really matter doesn't matter what happens on earth. It's all in God's perfect hands. I think that's the message of Revelation. This is a God who loves his creation. Enough to send the one who was, who is now, and who is to come. To be a savior for each of us. Doesn't get any better than that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, if we plead ignorance, I'm sure you've heard the plea many times before. We don't really know for sure what any of these things mean or how extensive this is or when it's going to happen. Or, but we do know that Jesus is not just the Messiah of Israel. He is the ever-living Son of God the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, 
the one who we sing about, the one who we worship, the one who we bow to even as they bow in heaven. Lord God, open our hearts and our minds. May we want nothing less than to believe and be all that you've called us to be through Jesus, who is Savior and Lord. Amen. Yeah. May the living God, Christ Jesus, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, bless you, keep you, and fill your heart and your mind and your lips with praise and thanksgiving to him, no matter what may come. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.